0: Well, if you happen to get a travel document for a stateless person, you probably need a visa wherever you go. Welcome
1: to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Welcome everybody. I have been enjoying talking to the listeners as always. And I had a cool chat just this past week with Claire Chen over in the London, UK. And she's uh, really excited. She's working with East meets West club there and bringing Chinese and British business people together. And it's pretty cool things, synergies with Gold from Asia. And it was a really great connection. Thanks, Claire and, and all you other listeners for tuning in and enjoying the show. And that's what it's all about. So now I'm already getting in gear for our big event, Cross Border Summit. It's going to be in mid-April. We're going to move it from a one-day event to a two-day event. It was just so much um, amazing activity that we got a lot of requests to make it two days. It's going to be in the spring trade show season here in South China. So if you're in town, it would be great to see you there. CrossBorderSummit.com. I will get you a place to go. And if you're actually around here in Hong Kong or in Shenzhen or South China, in November, we rescheduled due to Typhoon for the Hong Kong e-commerce trip into mainland China. Friday, November 18th, globalfromasia.com slash trip. And now for this week's show. It is Tuesday here in Asia, Monday night in the US time, but it will be ready for people... When they wake up Tuesday in America, and it will be election day. A lot of people getting excited on social media. I always really enjoy this political debate, I'm kind of being sarcastic here, but um, this one has been an especially crazy one. I don't need to get political on the show, but um, I thought it would be about time that we discuss renouncing US citizenship. It's something I've been hearing a lot of friends and business associates talking about very seriously. So we had Olivier Wagner. He comes on the show to discuss it. He's a professional CPA in America that helps a lot of expats with their U.S. filing, as well as this exact thing of renouncing your citizenship. So we have a good talk in Hong Kong about this. And if you want to read the show notes, he has a lot of uh, additional information at globalformasia.com slash episode 148. I also have to give a note. I'm not sure if you're going to notice it in the interview, but I get a bit emotional. Um... Just didn't even expect that. Of course, this is a difficult uh, discussion to have, but uh, I will explain after the interview if you're curious why. All enjoy. Welcome to Hong Kong, Olivier. Thank you, thank you. Yes, so we are at the DCX Hong Kong, and we thought, since you're hanging out so close to where our office is, we thought we'd do a pretty cool podcast. And uh, I'm a little bit nervous to do this, to be honest, but... well. Hopefully I don't get in trouble with the I, I, US government or something, but it's a, definitely a topic that comes up more and more. So talking about US passport renunciation and, and other things like that. So first of all, let's maybe introduce your, yourself to our listeners.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I operate 1040 abroad. I was in Canada when I started out and and I've been nomadic for the past one year, one year and a half. I worked for an accounting firm in Montreal, uh, became a CPA before working on my own. And a lot of my business comes from an attorney in Toronto who's precisely doing people who announce US citizenship. Uh, Mostly accidental Americans, Canadians who were born in the US, moved back to Canada of Canadian parents. They see themselves as Canadian. But with FATCA, their banks will report their names to the IRS and a lot of them choose to renounced because they do not really see themselves as, as American in the first place. For people who actually grew up in the States and um, only moved out as adults, there's more of an emotional attachment to the U.S. citizenship. So I see that happen as well, but it's less frequent. Okay. So basically
1: there's two things you're working with. One is, I've heard it be called uh, accidental Americans. Is, mm-hmm. is that like a term?
0: Yes, it is a term. It's, yeah, it describes people who, who have very little ties with the U.S. And yeah, usually they were born in the U.S. and they moved out before they were five years old or something. Mm. And their parents are foreigners as well, who just happened to be in the U.S. when they were born. And as per the U.S. Constitution, they are U.S. citizens.
1: Got it. And then, so yeah, like you said, of course, that's less less emotional because they're, they didn't like grow up there and you know, feel as patriotic. But of course, the second one you said is not as common, but is happening. We'll talk about some trends later, but it is happening. So that's a much more, you know, probably, com- is there a difference in complications of that? Or is it the same process? No, the
0: procedure is just the same. same. They're all US citizens. They, um, well, the, um, People who were born with dual citizenship and who spent limited time in the US can avoid being covered expatriates even if they have more than $2 million. So, so there's this slight difference, but for the most part, they're treated the it. same. Okay,
1: yeah, we don't get so technical, but it basically, uh, yeah. So we have this cheat sheet where we outline, or you outlined that's, uh, first of all, what's a covered expatriate?
0: Yeah, so that's the reason why they come to me. So you can go to a US constitution, U.S. consulate and renounce U.S. citizenship, and then you're no longer a U.S. citizen for immigration purposes, but you, if you don't do anything, you're still a U.S. taxpayer. And if you just file your final year tax return, there is a question asking you if you have been compliant for the past five years. And if you answer no, then you're a covered expatriate. And me thinks it's also... An invitation for the IRS to edit you. If you mm. say, "Oh, I'm not compliant with my taxes for the past five years," They're like, "Oh, tell me more about that." Oh, right? No. Um, yeah. So there's this concept of expatriates and covered expatriates. So covered expatriates is is bad, mm. and it's there's like some average income tax paid over the prior five years of four hundred fifty thousand dollars or something, which is usually not the triggering factor. Uh, The second one is if you have more than $2 million, which is why the first one doesn't get kicked in because if you pay that much tax, typically you have more than $2 million. So either you have more than $2 million or you fail to certify that you were indeed tax compliant. Got it. So that's why they come to me to file five years of tax returns Mm. in order to avoid being a covered expatriate. Got it. So if you were born in the US with your citizenship, if you are born with dual citizenship and you spend limited amount of time in the U.S., you can still avoid being a covered expatriate, even though you have more than $2 million. But regardless, under any circumstance, if you are not tax compliant, you are a covered expatriate. All right. Um, so it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's a bad thing. sounds like a good thing, covered
1: it seems <laughs> like It sounds like the word means you did what you're supposed to do, but okay. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you have these things... Um, there's some funny ones in this list maybe I can uh, I could start with them and then you could uh, you could maybe a gift so yeah I mean this is something tricky I could maybe put some my feedback too in in, uh, being in China or Asia but yeah like a gift to an American
0: yeah so usually a gift tax is um, is paid by the by the donor and there's an eye limit under which you don't have to pay it Uh, five million dollar lifetime exemption Whereas if you're a covered expatriate, the recipient has to pay it if you give money back to a U.S. citizen. So if you are going to be a covered expatriate and you contemplate giving some of your wealth to a U.S. citizen relative or otherwise, you should do it before renouncing U.S. citizenship. Likewise, if you die and you have an inheritance, the gift and estate tax systems are are related. So Mm. likewise, they would have to pay tax on that. All right. And then, and then, of course, if you're covered expatriate because you failed to certify that you are tax compliant, it's it's not in the statute, but I think that it's an invitation for the IRS to edit you and see why you are not tax compliant.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to... You're very, very skilled at this and you're very technical, but I, I think we want to stick a little bit uh, higher level, so... I just can't stop looking at Lorena Bobbitt one. Maybe we can talk about Lorena
0: Bobbitt? Yeah, I, I just meant that, again, the iOS could audit you and, and assess penalties for, for failure to be tax compliant.
1: Okay, okay.
0: So the main points here is this is, I guess, more for
1: the category one, which is like an accidental American that has a dual citizenship, is living abroad, maybe doesn't even realize they have to pay tax or uh, typically,
0: typically, they have not filed for decades, if not for their whole life. Mm. Um, but they're in Canada and the tax rate is greater in Canada than in the U.S. They, they pay provincial and federal in Canada and only federal in the U.S. So the foreign tax credit caused them to not owe any money. Um, there's a social security totalization agreements that they don't pay social security in the US mm. if they pay in Canada. So they have a lot of paperwork. There's like some financial products that are common in Canada to finance their child's education in college, for instance, that are treated as a trust. There's also, if you have a Canadian corporation where it's a foreign corporation to mm. the US, there are some forms to file for that. Got it, got it. So, so they have or- a lot of paperwork to file even though they don't ultimately have to pay tax. Okay, so basically
1: I think this first whole topic is really about the dual citizens that don't even know they have to file anything for Americans and then they f- find out when they're older that they haven't done it for like their whole life and then they find somebody like you or to figure out how to catch up with yeah, it. And it's,
0: it's more of an issue for people who get close to retirement at that point a lot of their income becomes investment income, and there's a PFIC, passive foreign investment company issues that come if they invest in mutual funds and other things that. So it gets more complicated when they get at this stage of life.
1: I think uh, a lot of our listeners, maybe, or at least the, the main focus I think of is American, the second type, which is not as common that you deal with but maybe is becoming more common is Americans that were born in America grew up in America and have decided to live abroad for a long time and the sad things the U.S. government is doing to people abroad has been really affecting their businesses and their lives and a lot of their their things they're doing so maybe we can focus on those people Going forward, but. Yeah,
0: the technicalities is is very similar. Oh, yeah, the other point is that usually it's FATCA, the bank contacting them to confirm that they were American, that caused them to really. I mean, the idea that they were American is usually something that they are conscious of on some level. But it was very theoretical. Mm. But when their bank contacts them and asks them to confirm that they're American, and if so, they'll forward their bank information to the IRS, mm. it becomes a lot more weird. Yeah, and and that's when some of them decide to run out.
1: Look, can you maybe give people an idea of what is FATCA? Because I think some people, I have a blog post I can link about it. You probably have some posts or tar- talks, but maybe maybe explain what's happened with FATCA, and the history, or, or a little bit of overview.
0: Yes. So so the U.S. wanted to track Americans who had bank accounts overseas and presumably were not reporting the investment income on their U.S. tax returns. So they came up with this system telling banks that if they didn't collaborate, 30% of the proceeds they would receive from the U.S. would be in tax, not refundable. So that, that's something that no bank in the world can, can live with. So banks uh, were under pressure to comply. In some countries, in Europe, in Canada, actually sending the information to the IRS would violate local privacy laws. So they came with IGAs whereby the banks send information to their tax authorities, which then sends the information to the IRS. In any case... Last year, banks had to identify account holders were Americans, so if they had a place of birth on record, they would contact people with the U.S. place of birth, asking them, are you American or can you provide us with a certificate of loss of nationality, which is what you get when you announce U.S. citizenship. And after that, they actually ask people who open new accounts, are you American? Regardless, mm-hmm. if you're a New Zealand person opening uh, an account in New Zealand with a New Zealand bank, they'll ask you, hey, by the way, are you American because because of FATCA? Mm-hmm. The Euro- European Union and other OECD nations came up with a similar concept called GATCA. But um the US one is far more overreaching because because the US tax is based on on citizenship. So at some point I was a French resident, at some point I was a Canadian resident. But I wouldn't be covered by Gatka for these countries because I'm not a resident in these countries anymore. I don't have any obligation to file tax returns there anymore. Got Whereas it. in the US I'm still a US citizen, I will have to file tax returns for as long as I remain one. Got
1: it. Yep. So maybe I'll just put my American eyes more basic interpretation. But yeah, basically FATCA is everybody has I guess the US government wants to ensure that every American in the whole world is telling American Tax Department all of their bank accounts everywhere it, yeah, to the, the US. the way it
0: was publicized at first is that people might have bank accounts in Switzerland, and which is, a, a, if you want to hide money, don't go to Switzerland now because they're all paranoid. It's the worst place to hide. In any case, yeah, the idea behind FATCA was that people would have bank accounts in Switzerland to hide income to hide maybe where the money came from, maybe it was not reported in the first place as taxable income. And and they wanted to to mitigate this tax evasion. Mm-hmm. But the result of which has been that it's not just US residents who have bank accounts overseas. It's all US citizens who have bank accounts overseas. And US citizens who happen to live overseas are much more likely to have bank accounts overseas and they're really whether it was intended or not they really become targets of FATCA because because they have bank accounts overseas. It's not overseas to them, it's where they live. Mm-hmm. And and the penalties are similar. I mean the so I spoke about the bank side of FATCA, the bank forwarding the information to the IOS. On the taxpayer side, there's Form 8938 that the taxpayer has to file. The filing threshold is higher for for people living overseas. It's $50,000 for single or married filing separately uh, taxpayers in the U.S. versus $200,000 outside the U.S. But again, people living outside the U.S. are so much more likely to have non-U.S. bank accounts that... They end up being de facto target. Sure.
1: So what's happened is around the world, banks are asking you, "Are you American?" to every single person, and yes. making people file, fill out forms that goes to the U.S. government and says they're not American, even if they're n- never were American and not plan to be American. And then what's happening is, I guess, these accidental Americans or that first case of people we talked about at the beginning are like, "Whoa, I yeah, I have an American citizenship, but I also have." French citizenship. I'm always in France. Now I got all this new paperwork and hassles and forms and headaches. So let me just get rid of my U.S. second citizenship. So that's, I think a lot of those people are doing, that's, that's a lot of those people are leaving now, right?
0: Yeah. So the banks uh, forward the information of people they identified as Americans, there's no penalty for them for erroneously forwarding information of somebody who's not American, but obviously there is if they fail to identify someone. But if they, they don't forward the information of a foreigner who would have filed a W-8 ban to certify that they are not American. Mm-hmm. So the banks kind of become the police mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of the, the IRS, of the US tax authorities. Yep. And and the burden that it has placed on banks has been, has been huge. By money estimates, the costs that... It because the banks to implement FATCA will be greater than any tax collection that the IRS will ever have due to FATCA. It's, I mean, just think about it. Every bank in the world had to identify pre-existing accounts to identify if there was a US citizen behind it. So that's, that's a huge task. Mm. Anyway, that's... So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, in Hong Kong, I, I know a lot of banks just don't accept Americans because it's just too much hassle and they're too afraid to... To, uh, to to get involved,
0: yeah, so. that's that's the easy solution for the banks. Yeah, banks in Switzerland are the the most paranoid when it comes to U.S. citizens. I had one uh, which froze fifty percent of the account balance of a client of mine until he proved that he filed U.S. tax returns. So the U.S. Department of Justice sued every bank in Switzerland uh, under the assumption that they were guilty until proven otherwise before FATCA came into place. So, so when FATCA came into place, yeah, th- they were so paranoid. It's it's not advisable to open an account in Switzerland. Um, likewise, I think it was HSBC operated transfers with IWON and the U.S. said that if there's another violation of U.S. laws, they'll uh, take away their permit to operate in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So HSBC, likewise, is very stringent and and will be extremely cautious and, you know, when in doubt, will report you to the I.O.S.
1: Got it. So, so basically, let's maybe get... I think we, this is kind of like the background of what's been happening and kind of what's been making this trend of... People with U.S. citizenships to to renounce, or so maybe we'll get into the definitions of people that are doing this. There's renunciation, surrendering, and relinquishing. Those are the three different types. Are they are those the same thing or different? Or
0: yeah, so surrendering is just a term that is often used that doesn't have a legal definition. So technically, everybody's relinquishing, and renunciation is a way to relinquish. So you can perform an expatriating act, working for a foreign government, acquiring a foreign citizenship, some other act, with the intent of surrendering U.S. citizenship. And that causes you to relinquish U.S. citizenship. So... If you can prove that, you can get a certificate of loss of nationality backdated to the date you performed that act. But the Department of State will want to see exactly what you did when you performed that act and what you did afterwards. If you kept using a U.S. passport, you applied for one, then they'll say that you still held yourself as a U.S. citizen afterwards. You didn't, you couldn't have done it with the intent of of relinquishing U.S. citizenship because because you still held yourself as a U.S. citizen and they would deny the case in such cases. Renunciation is the easiest way to go about it. You make an appointment at the U.S. consulate and and you just go and you say, I want to renounce U.S. citizenship. And, and you pledge under oath that you know what you're doing. And unless they have some reason to believe that you don't really realize what's going on, if you have some mental health issues, um, they will grant it. But it will be effective on the day of that appointment. It will not be retroactive.
1: Mm, so that's the main difference: is the retraction. Of and
0: time? The, at some point, they they had a fee for renunciation of two thousand three hundred fifty dollars. And they didn't implement it for other relinquishments, but they catched up with that. Now it's 200, 200 350 US dollars for everybody. 200,
1: 2,350 dollars.
0: 2,350
1: dollars, yeah. yeah. Which has been increasing, I've heard. It used to be much lower. It used to be 450 dollars yeah. a few
0: years back, yeah.
1: Probably will go up, it seems, but we can't predict. Um, yeah, I mean, it is emotional, even for me talking about it right now. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's sad that there's discussions like this happening so much now. But uh um do you need to have another citizenship to renounce?
0: Yeah, actually no. The the US as the US Department of State has warnings and they'll warn you if you try to do that saying that it's a foolish thing to do to renounce your citizenship if you don't have a backup, but they let you um they let you do that. There's something called Convention Against Statelessness that was ratified in the UN and the US is not a signatory to it. As such, they they don't have any obligation to prevent statelessness. And um, yeah, as a matter of fact, they let you go stateless. I've seen a few instances of people who did that, but not clients of mine, but public figures. So... If you have permanent residence somewhere else, you can get a travel document for stateless person and you're on track to get that other citizenship a few months, a few years down the line, maybe. But it's um, it's not a great place to be because... Yeah, because yeah. you can't travel, you're stuck wherever you renounced. Well, if you happen to get a travel document for stateless person... You probably need a visa wherever you go, but you could still conceivably travel. But it would be so much more difficult if you had... Yeah, I don't... A first world or second world citizenship. But this is where it's complicated to me, because if you're an...
1: Americans can't get a second passport, you can't can't get another... Illegally, you're supposed to... You can't get dual citizenship unless you have certain circumstances, right? Oh,
0: okay, so... No, uh, there was a Supreme Court case essentially allowing dual citizenship. And um, it's funny because the Department of State is well aware of it, will allow you to have dual citizenship, no problem. But um, Homeland Security, which administers naturalizations and in which there is this language that you owe allegiance to the US and not to any foreign country, is less aware of it. So definitely, if you are a U.S. citizen and you enter and leave the U.S., use your U.S. passport. But yes, you can be a dual citizen. I am a dual citizen. So the Supreme Court case said that the law of the foreign country might require you to identify yourself as a, a foreign citizen. And it was difficult to determine whether you had that citizenship to comply with the laws of a foreign country or whether it was a personal choice. So they, um, they let you, they let you keep your citizenship, but the law itself has not changed. It's really the interpretation of it, which, which kind of creates a funny situation because yes, if you go back to the seventies and you acquired Canadian citizenship or European citizenship, the, um, Again, going back to relinquishment, the U.S. consulate would say by default that you did that with the intent of surrendering U.S. citizenship and that you are no longer a U.S. citizen unless you have the convincing case that to practice your profession, you needed to have that Mm. foreign citizenship, for instance. Okay. But yeah, so back in the days... They were very strong in saying, if you acquire the foreign citizenship, you will increase your citizenship. And now they are taking the opposite stance. And it's for you to prove that you actually intended to... Oh, all right.
1: Okay, I'm just digesting this. So then if I get another passport, Canada, I would not... And then I would have... Should immediate... Is it timing matter? or do I want to ho- hold to? Or I don't know if there's any... I guess it obviously depends on the situation and the person, but... If they want to not be American anymore, they should probably get another passport before they get not become stateless and stuff yes, yes. nowhere. So they have to get another passport. It's, they should like immediately like I guess there's relinquish which would be backdate to the date you got that last passport.
0: Yeah, as long as you stopped holding yourself as a US citizen. Okay, I guess this is stuff people can contact you about for more specific
1: details. I don't know if we there's some general thought logic of how long they should do this or have to or i don't know if there's any i mean i might. But the dep-
0: question is do you want to keep us citizenship if you don't you might as yeah, well
1: just do it as soon as you get another passport yeah and then i guess you would relinquish which would backdate or if it's so close i, mean, I if guess, it's so close you, you might as
0: well announce yeah got
1: it okay and then let's talk about some numbers so i've read blogs and i hear the numbers keep going up and i hear of course, I'm an I'm an American living overseas, so I hear this a lot. And uh, what are the numbers like?
0: Well, they kept going up and up and up since 2008. Every year has been a, a new record, and um, yeah, it's it's really the the impact of FATCA. So, citizenship-based taxation dates back to the Civil War, I believe, but it was it was probably implemented during the Civil War, but uh since then it has been on paper but if some US citizen was overseas stopped fighting. The IRS was not really searching for them and they were off the radar, if you will. Was now with FATCA they become more reachable and and so it becomes harder to stay under the radar. And and people who don't want to be in the US tax system run out or otherwise relinquish. So, is there, so numbers have some... been going higher and higher since 2008. They've reached uh, over 4,000 in 2015. Wow, man. Okay. And we talked about costs. I mean, but I mean, probably somebody should work with a professional,
1: not just go to the U.S. consulate and just re- renounce, right? Like, you should probably work with, of course, you provide a service. There's others. What would be the reasons or the... The benefits of using a professional service. I mean, what are some of the mistakes people make, or 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 the common pitfalls of just trying
0: to get on a passport and then renouncing, and then so renouncing is the easy part. Taking care of the immigration side is the easy part. Um, the thing is that on the tax side, you have to certify that you've been compliant for the past five years. So if you prepare your tax returns yourself, you might not know some technicalities and. And then you might not be compliant. And that might cause you to be a covered expatriate. And that might cause you to be subject to the exit tax. So, yeah, another thing that covered expatriates have is that you would look at the fair market value of everything you own and the basis you have on it, and you would have a deemed capital gain on it. Mm. So, yeah, so the cost is $2,350 for... For the U.S. government, I charge about the same to prepare five years of returns. And yeah. then I guess the tax. So, hopefully, they didn't have any
1: mistakes in the last five years of their returns. Yeah, I mean, you would check that and then make sure there's no surprises. And then, of course, the government, the U.S. taxes are going to try to find something they can they can tax or maybe they'll they'll come and audit they would audit you maybe or you
0: can. You can always amend prior to announcing. I don't believe that that are more likely to get audited than a regular taxpayer. Uh, the consequences might be more material to them if it does happen. And I, I never had a client who didn't say that they were tax compliant. But I would think that if you say that you're not, you'll be more likely to get audited. Okay. All right, and uh, so of like, I guess the cost benefit or
1: the the real cost of tax compliance with tax liability, maybe what,
0: what should people look at when they're looking at tax preparation and forms? Well, you want to have a tax preparer who's familiar with your situation and or you might want to get yourself familiar with issues that applies to you. So a tax preparer in the US might be familiar with issues that apply to his client base, but they might not be familiar with controlled foreign corporation rules, with foreign trust rules from 3520, 3520A, passive foreign investment corporation, the extent to which mutual funds might or might not be, passive foreign investment corporation from 8621. Got it. Yeah, the foreign tax credit, foreign earned income exclusion, all of these issues are are very important for taxpayers outside the US, whereas they're not in the US. Whereas on the other side of the token, Obamacare will be so much more complicated to comply with in the US, whereas outside the US, there's an exemption for people who, who live outside the US who meet either test of the foreign income exclusion. So the, the knowledge base that a taxpayer will have will depend on the issues he's used to seeing, which depends on his client base. So you want to have a tax preparer who's familiar with the issues that you have. Got it.
1: All right. All right. Thanks so much, Olivier. Um how can people find you online or in the web or give you some more these at, questions?
0: Yes, I'm at ten forty abroad. So it's one zero four zero abroad ABROAD dot com. Yeah, so there's a contact form there and and I respond to your email, your request.
1: All right. Thank you. And uh, yeah, my mom doesn't listen to this, but uh, she would be crying right now. (laughs) It's crazy stuff going on.
0: Yeah, there's definitely an emotional aspect to it, especially for people who grew up there. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Olivier. He's a real professional
1: at this. And uh, any other expat tax questions you might have for US citizens abroad? So definitely reach out to him at 1040abroad.com. He's a very helpful guy and will give you good advice. And if you are serious about renouncing, it's probably best to work with a professional and uh, he's somebody you should seriously consider. Okay, and now for my reasoning of why I got emotional, I guess what crossed my mind is that, you know, I grew up American, uh, I grew up in America, and I could just, my mom doesn't listen to this show, I'm pretty sure, she doesn't even know what probably a podcast is, but I could just imagine, you know, just coming to China when I first even traveled here, my family was a little bit, I don't know how to say, disappointed or confused why I would do it, and then the times I kept coming back to China and not not remaining in America, my, uh, my mom got pretty emotional and was a little bit crying and saying to me, why can't I find these up? Op- find my own opportunity in America. And, you know, I know my family is very patriotic and, you know, I, of course, I mean, uh, I've talked to some other friends, of course. I mean, I appreciate what America has done for me. I was born there. I went to school there, college there, you know, this show is about education, giving people information, I'm not planning to renounce my citizenship. You know, my kids are American and I did choose to make them American over being, uh, you know, Chinese citizens. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not anti-American, but I, you know, some people might take this the wrong way, but uh, you know, I'm just putting information out there. And honestly, I just feel like why based on somebody's birth location, you know, or however it's decided that you have to pick a passport and, you know, there's some things I've seen um, friends share on social media, like within the first minute you're born, you're given your name, your identity, you know, all these things you have no choice about. Um, and I, I love employing I have lots of people working for our company that live and were born anywhere in the world. And with the internet and all this information, technology, anybody that has the will to learn and, and better themselves can, can do that. So, you know, I don't know what. What's the future of citizens? You know, people can travel anywhere in the world now. You know, like these digital nomads and location independent. And does does that really make a difference in where I was born and where I? Uh, you know, I know there's all these wars, and you know, there's financial reasons. And Elon Musk is talking about robots taking everybody's jobs and giving everybody a basic salary based on where they're a citizen. But I just, I just don't know. I think what it's going to take is we land on Mars or there's alien invaders and then all these countries will just kind of be one, you know, I'm sure when many, many, you know, years ago, there was people in different towns fighting each other and saying you're from that town, not from this town, you know, and then it was like states or, you know, like smaller countries in Europe. And now it's just the world's got so big. And I don't know why does this make us different because we're a citizen of this place or that, you know, I I don't it doesn't make sense to me. So I hope there's a better solution in the in the long term because I think people anywhere in the world, if they want to work hard and learn and make a better lives for themselves and their families, there shouldn't have to be this whole fight of where they're a citizen of. So um let's just stay, you know, on top of this, this is something I'm kinda of getting fascinated with here with the, with this podcast and, and in Asia with banking and company set up and Business and filtering internets and all this stuff. So it's kind of something that's pretty, pretty interesting here with Global from Asia. And uh, thanks for listening all the way to the end. And I would love your, your, you know, your, your opinions. You know, let's not get too emotional here. I think uh, let's just be educated and uh, open minded. See you next week.